0: It's the Michelle the Trainer Show with your host, Michelle the Trainer. Michelle the Trainer. MTT is Michelle the Trainer.
1: Today's very special guest star is Marina Tertarian. She's a communications and business designer, which is a totally fancy way of saying that she's a professional creative problem solver, which is how I met her. She is the host of a new podcast called Why Service Design Thinking, focused on how small to medium-sized businesses and nonprofits can implement thoughtful design to solve problems and innovate in their organizations. She also founded her own organization called the Why Lab, a strategy agency that uses a process called design thinking to create sustainable action plans for solving problems and reaching goals. She works and lives by the principles of design thinking, lives by the principles of jazz improvisation, and swears by ergonomic standing desks. I hope you enjoy hearing from her as much as I did. Have a fantastic day. Thanks. Aloha and welcome to episode 20 of the Michelle the Trainer Show. Today's very special guest star is Marina Terterian, and she is an expert in service design thinking.
2: Marina, welcome. Hi, Michelle. Thank you for having me.
1: All right. Tell me everything. How did you get started with service design?
2: I actually took the long road to service design. I originally started my career doing many things in marketing, including digital marketing, public relations, copywriting. And I always knew that there was something out there for me that was a better fit than what I was doing. And through a series of experiments... That I did on my own life and on my own career, I found the field of service design and design thinking, and I haven't looked back since. Okay, and then you're working at a place called the Y, or you created a place called the Y Lab. Yes. So the Y Lab is my consulting agency. And it's the umbrella through which I do all of my projects. That's awesome.
1: Okay, so can you give us, this took me a really long time. I want the listeners to understand that Marina and I have been talking on the phone about this for months. Because I, was, I don't come from a design background, so I really wanted to understand what service design thinking was and we've got some examples that can help you guys understand it that helped me understand it as well so marina what are our examples for today
2: so i'll get i'll get into the the definition for design thinking and there we'll throw around a bunch of different phrases that are associated with this concept but the the overarching phrase is design thinking service design is a subset of that that's specifically applied to service based companies and projects but design thinking itself is a tool for tackling complex challenges. So it can be anywhere from solving a specific business problem or changing the behavior of a group of people, let's say in a, a, a city or you know facing a, a problem that's facing an area, or it can be can also help innovate. So if, so if a company is a, a little bit stuck and is looking for a way to disrupt their industry or even their company, they can use the process of design thinking to achieve it. And uh, design thinking is a methodology, and it has six steps. It includes empathy, it includes defining a specific problem, it includes ideating and coming up with brainstorming different ideas to solve the problem that we've defined. And then it has a loop of prototyping, doing different tests, and prototyping the ideas and then testing the ideas with the target demographic. And you continue the loop of prototyping and testing either until you run out of time, you know, you've hit a deadline or until you're, you're really comfortable and you feel that the problem is solved in a sustainable way that can carry on aside from just that process. And
1: what I found fascinating about this is that the empathy is actually for the user or the customer or the person that is going to be using the
2: facility, the building, the equipment, correct? Exactly. And that's so this is one of my favorite parts about um, design thinking and especially service design. It's it focuses on a concept called human centered design. And you'll hear about human centered design and in, in other areas as well, for example, user experience or user interface design. But it, what it really does is focus the entire process on the people that it's going to impact the most. And this sounds like it would be such an obvious thing, right? Because of course, you want the money from the customers or you want to make people happy, but it's been really interesting to look at the business landscape just you know, over the last few decades and see that this really is the last couple decades has really been the birth of people, companies turning their entire focus onto the people who are using it because they're seeing that the end user is one of the biggest sources, if not the biggest sources of insight on how to make things better, on how to create a a lasting product or a sustainable service that, you know, delights people for years to come. It involves a lot of interviews. It does have a heavy focus on qualitative interviews. So instead of doing a market research survey that might hit thousands of people, it might actually sit down with a few dozen people and interview them in depth and, and watch them interact with the product or the service in depth and use those insights to do the entire rest of what they're trying to do.
1: Sure. And maybe part of this is just that we're in a more communicating time of life now than we were. I mean, remember 10, 20 years ago, we used to call customer service and this is when you could never talk to a human. Now with social media and everything, now everybody's able to talk to anybody. They can tweet to a company. They can LinkedIn to a company. They We have a lot of avenues for communicating. So, you know, maybe on some level that helped bring it to the forefront that customers do have a voice and they do have relevant input. And let's talk about the examples. I love, I know we talked about the MRI example and a little bit on coffee shop and a little bit on
2: trains. Can you elaborate? Absolutely. So one of my favorite design thinking case studies that is told is about a man named Doug Dietz, who designed a really fancy MRI machine. And he was working for General Electric at the time, and you know he was very proud of this machine. It was obviously a great feat for the medical industry. Um, and one day he was just walking into one of the clinics that was using the machine, and he was just hanging out in the waiting room, uh, waiting to go in and see it. And he noticed there were a bunch of children in the waiting room, sick children, who were waiting to go get MRI'd. And all of these children were just miserable. They were crying, they were terrified, to go into this process, um, and that really, that really hit him because you know here's this product that he's created, and the results of it is children who are very miserable. So he asked around a little bit more uh, to try to get an understanding of what was happening, and he actually discovered that first the children were yes miserable and terrified, but also uh, from a business perspective, um, they were not able to get as many scans in during the day because the process of getting a child. Uh, through the completion of their scan was taking so long and they had to actually bring um, a lot of times uh, an anesthesiologist um, to sedate the children before they would go in the machine because they were so terrified. They just wow. couldn't sit still. Right. And so that had a huge impact on him and he knew that he didn't want his product to, he knew that he wanted his product to work better than that. So uh, at the time, he took a workshop at um, the Stanford D School, which is uh, actually where design thinking originated, um, and he worked with a man named Dave, David Kelly, who is the, considered the father of design thinking. Um, and so he went through the process, and he gained empathy, and he defined the problem of how to make this a more pleasant experience, specifically for children, and it, to brainstorm the solution. He actually brought in people who were experts on children so that um, and and one of the the groups of people that included was uh, people at museums, children's museums. And so he worked with them to create this solution. And the solution was that instead of considering getting an MRI as a medical procedure, he turned it into an adventure for children. Um, He decorated the entire room as a specific, within a specific story. So one of the stories was, it was a pirate ship. Um, that Mariah was de- decorated like a pirate ship and, uh, the, you know, the walls were decorated like the ocean. And, um, he had the nurses read a script to the children that, Hey, we're going to go on this adventure and you're going to go in this machine and you have to lie really still because if you don't, the pirates would find us and we don't want that. And That's if you so hear, cool, you know, right. Yeah. And if you hear thumping noises, which is one of the scariest parts that don't be scared. It's just the pirates. Then they're fighting. And the more noise you hear, that means we're winning, um, so he created this entire storyline, and he looked through the entire process from start to finish. So one of them, one of the steps of that was even before the kids came in, he they gave them a coloring book that um, was affiliated with the theme, but that helped them understand what's going to happen. So they already came in knowing a little bit about the process, and it wasn't just this big scary unknown. Um, and the interesting thing was. Aside from these children loving it, and he heard feedback like, uh, you know, some kid said to her mom, hey, can we come back and do this again tomorrow? It was such a (laughs) fun experience. But there was also a very specific business um, result to this, and it was that they didn't need to have an anesthesiologist on staff to come and sedate all the children because the need to sedate children dropped to almost zero, um, and they were able to get through more scans per day, so they were able to, you know, get, uh, get more revenue from it. So I love, I love this story because it really illustrates total the win-win two sides. Exactly. Um, and you know, there's pirate ships involved. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we,
1: we like have... pirate ships. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> and then coffee shops, we were
1: talking about how many coffee shops we have, especially in Los Angeles. We have them sometimes even in the same parking lot. So if I'm just a normal human, uh, person in a parking lot in Los Angeles, wondering, which coffee shop am I going to
2: go to How? What what do we think about that? Well, there's actually um, a phrase that's thrown around in the the design thinking, or the service design specifically um, industry, that if there are two coffee shops right next to each other and they both have the same price point, they have similar coffee, people are going to walk into the one that has incorporated service design. And, um, you know, that includes all of the touch points that a customer experiences as they walk into the shop. So if I'm the pretend customer and we are being empathetic as part of
1: our one, uh, number one of our six service design tenants, Mm -hmm. right? Then, um, you know, maybe I want a giant table or maybe I want a
2: a outlet to to charge my devices that those would be service design type things. Exactly. And it's everywhere from how you stand in line and uh, how the the ordering process um, is arranged and the smells and the sounds that that someone experiences in a coffee shop you know none of those things are a coincidence Um, they're all tied into the general customer experience and it's important to note too that with service design specifically the experience doesn't start and end at the time when someone's in in a building or you know in the service the experience really starts before they've ever set foot into the business. And it ends after they leave the business and it could end at maybe an online review or part of the experience, the, the experience touch point could end when they make a recommendation, either good or bad to their friends. So, because those are all actual touch points with between the customer and the business, right? They're still thinking about the business and they're thinking about what they went through. So if you create a magical experience for them, they it's their are...
1: takeaway, right? It's their customer mm-hmm. satisfaction takeaway, which will make them tell somebody else to go and use that business. It's 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 amazing. I mean, I so I guess that cinnamon roll smell is not an accident.
2: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and you know, customer I feel service... so used. I feel totally used. <laughs> love it right you
1: love every minute of it I, I do mean, I actually love the smell more than I like the rule. I mean exactly that's amazing so yeah so okay so then what about like more functional things like when you gave me an example of, of like a bathroom example can we talk about that
2: <laughs> <laughs> I recently heard a really cool case they were looking at the the train station it was I think a city in Europe they were looking at a train station and trying to create a better experience for the people who were using the trains the theory was that they would just put in free Wi-Fi and that should make everybody happy, right? Because free Wi-Fi these days is pretty much a currency in itself. But when they actually went through the design process, the the service design process, uh, they interviewed all of the users. They discovered that what would make the train customers more thrilled with their experience was was not free Wi-Fi, but actually better, cleaner, uh, more bathrooms, which is not a conclusion that someone might normally be drawn to. You know, it's not something that would be a go-to in terms of investing money in but here it is here's here's an insight that's specifically drawn from talking to the users themselves and this is what they identify as something that's a priority and you have to listen to that because it's coming directly from them you know it's not it's not a guess it's not something that someone sitting in an office believes is the answer um so i love that i love that you can come up with insights you can discover rather insights um, that you may not have come up with on your own. Again, it might
1: be that's a functional commuter need, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's a big deal, even on a bike path or a train or a, you know. Um, so speaking of trains, you did this cool project for the metro.
2: We did, um, which so, is sort of more a bus really than a train. It's a little bit of both. <laughs> um, so you know, you know, the metro in LA. I mean, you know, um, it's not the go-to mode of transportation. Um, however, it should be in some instances. You know, LA traffic being what it is, um, the LA, LA Metro is actually really cool. So um, I was taking a a class, a hybrid um, online in person class um, through Ido.org and Acumen, and um, it was going through the design thinking process, and we were to apply it to a project. So the project we chose was tied into the um, civic to a civic innovation challenge in Los Angeles. And that was a county-wide challenge that was um, issued by L.A. County. Um, and we had a few to pick from, so we picked the L.A. Metro. And the challenge was, how can we make public transportation more accessible? Um, and so it's broad, It's meant to be broad so that people can pick um, whatever is most meaningful for them. And we decided to go with the Metro because the group of us did. Uh, we were all Metro advocates, and we believed that more of our city should adopt it. Um, and we actually, as we dug into it, we found out some interesting things that only 11% of the LA population actually uses public transport and, um, that, you know, that might be a a statistic to just pass over, but considering we're in Los Angeles and considering that there are so many opportunities to ditch the car, there's no reason why that number shouldn't be higher, even if it's, you know, an, an incremental change. So we went through the process, um we did a ton of interviews with different demographics. We talked to people who don't use the Metro and who were very much against it. And we tried to get an understanding of their objections to using the Metro. Um, So we, we heard things like metros are dirty and there are weird people on it. And it's so far from my house and it's just easier to take the car. We are. Yeah.
1: We are such a car culture. I mean, such a car, even though we can sit in traffic all day long and, Never see long lost friends that, you know, maybe only live, you know, 10 miles away. But because huh. of traffic, it takes five hours to get there. You know, yeah, but we're still so attached to the car, it's become an extension of us. So I find this really fascinating. Can, I'm sorry, I interrupted, continue. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, you're, t- you're absolutely right and that. That played such a huge factor, you know, and we were hearing things like, uh, the Metro doesn't go anywhere cool or useful, which, hello, it goes into downtown LA and saving the $20 on parking um, and not having to deal with that in itself make, you know, um, is a payback in spades. Um, and there was there was a huge lack of familiarity, too, that we have metro lines, where do they go? Or There's one, two miles from my house, I didn't know that. Um, so we looked at that, and then we looked at people who had been on the metro before, just as casual users, and uh, we discovered an interesting trend. So um, the regular users, you know, we sat down and rode the metro for hours, just back and forth, different locations, and interviewed people. And the regular users had adopted it as part of their, you know, their culture and um, many of them ironically, were from other cities, so to them, taking the metro was a no brainer. But then, when we looked at the l a people that we would call the metro convert, people who had previously may have had some of these these car culture misconceptions, but then now were huge fans and almost ambassadors for the metro, that we discovered one very interesting insight, and it was that the first time barrier was what did it for them. That was what converted them to be a Metro user. And because the gap between all the misconceptions and the reality of how cool the Metro was and where it went, it was so huge. But once they just got over that hurdle, it's like going to the gym, right? They were crazy about it. It wasn't even a casual, yeah, I went to the Metro once, it was cool. It was a complete fanatical. I love the metro. Now when I go somewhere, the first thought that pops into my head is, does the metro go there or can I find a way to work around the metro stops? So we're very fascinated by that. So we took that consistent insight and we came up with a problem statement of how do we create more metro users, regular users, by breaking their first time barrier in a way that was easier and more accessible to them. And that was a little bit friendlier than kind of you know hitting them over the head and saying oh I have so many ideas
1: for that because I would love for more energy and resources to go into that so that we have more freedom and again are able of course you know for me I want to I want to be able to work while I'm moving around right so anything Mm -hmm. that is conducive to me working and not having to worry about traffic or all these other things is just fantastic you know right now it's you know limited in routes and there's different limitations that come with the metro currently but yeah if we got more people to use it, then more people would be using it. We'd be able to create some of those features.
2: Exactly. Yeah, and that's a, that's a really good point that you're making because it, it really all does feed into one another, right? I mean, if you look at just the problem, the overarching problem as a whole, it can be really overwhelming. Well, oh, there's all these problems with the metro. It's not ideal or... There's this big, nobody uses it, just these weird random statements that are made that aren't really based on on true insight. But when you really narrow down to what specific problems are and you solve them one by one, that makes everything so much more attainable, right? It just makes it so much easier.
1: Yeah, so we can come up with little adventures that people can do. I just think it's fascinating. So what else are you working on, Miss Marina?
2: (laughs) My mission for this year and going forward, is that I've noticed design thinking and service design is still fairly new, and right now it's pretty focused on the corporate landscape. Uh, there are a lot of corporations who are adopting it, um, both to solve their external problems. They're using it to innovate. They're uh, using it to solve some internal problems in terms of how their teams are structured. But when I was working as a, a marketing, an independent marketing strategist. I was primarily working with small to medium-sized businesses as well as small to medium-sized nonprofits. And I noticed that there's a big information gap between the, all these experts in design thinking and the millions of small businesses, small businesses and nonprofits around the world. So my mission for this year is to um, run a podcast called Why Service Design Thinking? And the idea is to explain these six cornerstones of design thinking in great detail using interviews from the experts. Because I'm certainly not, you know, I'm I'm still fairly new in this field, and I'm certainly not an the ultimate expert by any means. But there are so many people who have done amazing things and um, have amazing projects that they can discuss. So I want to educate the community, the small business community, on how they can adopt design thinking and how it's it's truly an accessible and uh, easy way that they can breathe life into their business and just set it up for success down the road. Um, Well, the reason I invited you on is because I think that your
1: passion for this, and I do think that listening is a talent. So I think that if we're getting into a a space where people are empathetic to the people who are spending the money and the people who are living in this world and in our society, Mm -hmm. I think that that definitely has a value. So don't disqualify that you're an expert. You're opening the door for us to learn more and to have a voice and to be involved in some of the things that can actually improve our everyday life and the everyday lives of everybody else around us.
2: Exactly. And it's, you know, it's so easy. I mean, uh, over time, I hope to develop a set of um, resources. And there's um, right now I'm curating the resources that exist on, you know, little ways to to adopt it in any business, anywhere from a consultant to uh, you know, a big service based business um, so it def- I'm definitely my a big part of my goal, yes, is to open that communication and to at least get at least get the words into people's heads and get people actually saying the words. That's partly why the name of my podcast is so long. I kind of keyword stuffed it for a reason why service design thinking I want people to say the words say that again. Thinking. Why service design thinking? Now spell um, it. Why service design thinking? W H Y S E R V I C E D E S I G N T H I N K I N G dot com. Yes, and right now, uh, right now, I am prepping all of the episodes for a big launch, and you can go to the website why dot and sign up to be alerted for the launch and you'll actually get a little freebie present from me for signing up. Well,
1: I want to thank you for all of your work with this. I look forward to being able to charge my phone on a clean toilet, on a train somewhere, (laughs) on a pirate ship. (laughs) Like meld all this together into some amazing (laughs) fusion design. Anyway, thank you so much, Marina. I look forward to hearing more. We'll have you back on the show when your podcast launches, and then we have more of a way to hear from your audience as well.
2: Awesome. Thank you so much for having me, Michelle. Thanks so much, Marina.
0: Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. It's the Michelle the Trainer Show with your host, Michelle the the Trainer. trainer. Michelle the Trainer. MTT MTT is Michelle the Trainer. trainer. It's the Michelle the Trainer Show With with our very special guest star, Dave Bullis from the Dave Bullis Podcast for today's Tool Talk.
1: Welcome to the very first episode of the Michelle the Trainer Show. Thank you so much for your time. I'm Michelle the Trainer, and my goal is to provide you with interesting tech, tools, people, personalities, and information that will improve your conversation and your life. You! It's all about you. I'll ask often for feedback and suggestions for the show since it's your time, and together we want to make the most of it. I'd like to have different types of shows within the Michelle the Trainer Show, and you will be able to read the type of show by the file name verbiage shown in iTunes. For example, some shows might be Tool Talk where we discuss productivity tools. Others, transportation technology. A show called Liquid Hike will showcase green technology. Another could be just an interesting interview and perhaps a variety show here and there. I'm an engineering project manager with a background in networking and telecommunications, who lives a passionate green and green technology lifestyle. I also accidentally have a huge career in wellness, and I'm an author because I just can't stop writing. So again, enough about me. It's all about you. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope to hear from you soon. Thank you.
2: This is Judy Reagan, host and producer of the Listener's Digest podcast, and you're listening to The Michelle the Trainer Show.
1: Good morning. This is Michelle, the trainer. And we're talking to Dave Bullis from the Dave Bullis show. He has a podcast and he was the inspiration behind me starting this podcast. And so we wanted to ask him some questions about recording Skype and some of his favorite tools um, for recording Skype on the Internet. Dave, go ahead.
0: Michelle, I just want to say thank you very much for having me. And uh, I'm glad that, you know, I could inspire you to start your own podcast. I, you know, I, I feel, you know, it, feel, it makes you feel good in the heart. <laughs> so the programs that I use to record Skype, uh, the one I use is Evier. Um, spell it. Spell it. E V A E R. Thanks. So um, basically, this is just uh, a tool It actually allows you to, uh, as soon as you launch Skype, you can actually set it to launch with Skype. So that way I can record just audio uh, or audio and video. And, you know, the reason I use this, uh, it's very, very user-friendly. Uh, there are other options out there, which I'll get to in one second. But if you did want to use use this program, if you just go to evir.com, you can actually uh, download this. I believe it's $20 to actually get this whole program. Yeah. I think uh, so I think
1: I paid that for my license.
0: Okay. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's about 20 bucks and you can even try it out for free. You can actually record if you actually just want to download just to see if you liked it. Uh, you can record up to five minutes, uh, of, of, uh, of recordings each time. And then, you know, obviously until you actually decide to buy it. And the, so if you do go to do to buy it, once you actually get, you know, get into it, um, you I, I always recommend going to go into the tools option first and we go into tools which in options and you know you're going to see uh, uh and the person
1: I'm going to interrupt you the person sure. you're recording doesn't know because like Dave and I were on the phone before this and he like recorded everything and I didn't even know okay continue
0: <laughs> there isn't <an> actually <laughs> there is an option uh in uh, i think it were it's in general where you can actually tell the other people that you're going to be recording um see what happens is i have mine where it's, if you go to, in the option settings here, I have hide EVA recorder to the system tray when recording begins. That, that's why, that's why I just completely forgot it's on. Cause that, cause what, I, the reason I set it to automatic is that way I don't have to worry about anything. It just goes from the beginning. I can pop it open to see mic levels, but um, other than that, you know, it's not, I'm not going to be sitting there going, Oh my God, did I forget to turn this thing on? So it sort of tries, you know, I try to save myself a little bit of uh of time. Uh, You know, Evier uh, also lets you like put back automatic chat replies. And that way, you know, if basically if you leave Skype and someone tries to ping you, you're able at least to reply to something. And um, so under advanced, there is a a actual option. Warn the caller that the call will be recorded. Uh, So if you do want to check that, so in case something does happen, like something happened between Michelle and I, uh, she will at least get a heads up about that. So, and then uh, what happens is with Evier, it does record to an MP3. So you can actually upload that uh, if you wanted to directly to, you know, like a podcast server or, you know, I recommend you edit it first in like something like Audacity, which is a free program, or uh, I use uh, Adobe Audition Creative Cloud. So um, but again, it, there is other options out there, too. Uh, if you do use Windows, there's things like uh, Call Note Premium. Uh, there's Call Trunk. Uh, there's other ones like iRecorder uh and you know a couple of other ones here and there and if you use uh a mac uh there is like uh, i think it's called eka recorder or sorry uh Evica recorder call and uh there's a couple of other ones uh call note was also for Mac and um uh whoops teachable moment'
1: Dave got cut off because I had not activated my E V A E R, evaer. How do we say this? Evaer. Yeah. Anyway, um, they are licensed. So anyway, so we cut him off in speaking about the different um tools that are available for Mac and PC. But as you can tell, Dave is very knowledgeable, and I would like to have him back to speak about the um the Adobe Creative Suite because I know that he's doing a lot of his audio editing with the Adobe tools, the uh, Premiere Creative Cloud. And he's also very knowledgeable about microphones. Um, We're hoping that uh, Dave will start a formal podcasting school soon, and then we'll have him back again to talk about that as well. Anything else, Dave?
0: Um, You know, uh, I want to say thank you for mentioning uh, the, the podcast school. Um, I'm hoping to launch that uh, next month, with, m- Next month, which would be the month of June. And uh, what I wanted to do was start it off with something simple, like a basic podcasting school. And that way, you know, it's not going to be talking too much about, you know, in depth about microphones and all that other stuff. We will talk about microphones, obviously, but it's just going to be things to get you started. And then, you know, the intermediate would be the things that take you a step further. And then finally, the advanced class would be the ones that were like, okay, now we're really going to start talking about microphones, and you're going to start talking about like, all of that stuff in detail that you know, you know any, nobody really wants to know, but you have to know. Um, but uh, yeah, Evier is a great program, um, but, uh, and if you have any questions, I mean, please, if any of the listeners wanted to contact me, uh, you can contact me anytime at DaveBullis.com. There's a contact form. It goes right to me, nobody else, and uh, I'm usually pretty good at getting back uh, within the same day.
1: Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. And we hope to hear from you soon because I do think that, you know, now with all the tech available and, you know, the microphones are not that expensive. I do think that there really is not a lot of excuse for poor audio quality. And again, this is all about the audience. So audience, anything, any comments or suggestions or anything you have about the podcast, any wishes, any uh, questions you have for Tool Talk, please let us know. Thank you very much, Dave Bullis.
0: Oh, my pleasure, Michelle. Take care. Find us at M-I-C-H-E-L-E, com. Read Michelle's blog posts at engineeringwellness.com. At M-I-C-H-E-L-E, trainer on Twitter.